The most viewed sport in the world is football. To players of the game, it's an art form. To fans of the game, it's a lifestyle. A goal will bring goosebumps. A tackle will bring cheers. A win will bring a high like no other. And a loss will bring everlasting tears. I'm Samuel Slaney, and this is Beyond Football. During this first part, we'll be taking a look at one of the oldest football clubs in the world, Stoke City. The Potters endured 10 consecutive seasons in the Premier League, including three ninth place finishes in a row, a European adventure and a majestic 6-1 win over Liverpool. However, it was the year of 2018 that saw these foundations crumble, as Stoke were relegated to the second tier of English football. Just two years later, the Potters now find themselves in a relegation battle as part of their second season of Championship football. To understand more about the overall impact that relegation has had on the Potters, I caught up with Elliot Hatney, the founder of Stoke City's biggest fan channel, The Bear Pit TV. Here, Elliot shares his thought process along with what went wrong for the Staffordshire club. I think by the time we got relegated, I'd already accepted it. So it wasn't one of, you know, one of shock or um, pain. Um, you know, we'd, we'd had a great spell in the Premier League and enjoyed some, you know, tremendous memories, um, you know, from some of the famous wins at the Britannia or the Bet365, as it's called now, or, you know, our, you know, our FA Cup run, uh, travels in Europe. You know, we had some great, great times. And I think I think our squad just wasn't up to the fight there was you know there was a lot of bad apples in the squad at that time and I think um, the writing was on the wall for you know for a few seasons before that and I think we were lucky to stay up previously a couple of times. Elliot then went on to speak about the silver linings of relegation. Some of us even saw you know saw it as a chance to you know a chance to rebuild and you know to experience something different and be back in the you know into the championship after you know 10 years and visit some new grounds and new teams. It's fair to say that this positive outlook was instantly halted when the prospect of a second relegation was mentioned. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Stoke, Stoke City are a club who should be nowhere near League One uh, and the lower leagues. We shouldn't. Uh, technically be you know anywhere near the championship but we are because of uh, you know a combination of bad management from the uh, bad management from the manager himself and also throughout the rest of the club Elliot's responses prompted me to conduct more research my research directed me to an article published by the Stoke Sentinel it was here that i found some frightening statistics an economic and social impact assessment carried out by accounting firm Ernst & Young found that the club was worth £132 million to the local economy and supported around 2,200 jobs in the area whilst they were in the Premier League. As a result, there would be an estimated loss of £60 million a year for the local economy, along with a loss of over 1,000 jobs. At that moment, I realised that the effects to the city 
and more specifically its economy, were much worse than I'd initially thought. It became apparent that a second relegation could not be afforded. The club's fall from grace weighed on me heavily, so just two days later, I found myself on the way to Stoke City's next game against Hull City at the Bet365 Stadium, in what proved to be a must-win game. The impact of relegation from the Premier League hasn't just affected the club, it's affected the staff and the facilities of the city. The income that comes in isn't the same in the Championship, and it does prove to be a league that Stoke City need to try and get out of as fast as possible. Going into this game, Stoke had won just two of their last six fixtures. So Stoke have been through some patchy form as of late. And a win here today would help the boys get that confidence back. And give the fans something to cheer about. You know, it's been a rough season for them. It's been up and down. And the fans, of course, are the main fundamental of this club, of the sport. They are the main thing. They keep this sport running and that's why it's so important. The importance of a win wasn't lost on me. In fact, I was probably more nervous than the players. The one main thing is that Stoke cannot get relegated. They have to try and stay in this league. You know, they didn't expect to be in this position. No one expected them to be in this position. Um, the club are currently paying their players Premier League wages. They did not expect to get relegated, let alone suffer a double relegation, which is potentially on the cards as we speak. Thompson just playing the ball back towards Chester, who had a little bit of a rusty touch. But Stoke City just intertwining passes using most of the playing surface. Over with Ince. Nice little cross played in. Powell is there, and that's 1 0 to Stoke City. In comes the cross. And there's a, quite a few appeals for handball, and it's given. Penalty for Stoke City. And it could be about to get a whole lot worse for Hull City. Campbell waits over this. In the team today, ahead of Sam Vokes, who scored at the KCOM. And Campbell scores for Stoke City. The perfect start for them. Big ball going in search of Campbell again. And McLaughlin can't do much more with it. Here is Campbell. Campbell shoots at goal. Oh, and it's three! No celebration from Sam Klukas, but celebrations all round in the Bet365 Stadium for Stoke City. Instead it will be fired straight into the box, good header, Klukas, 4-0. Lewis Potter, good play from him, Elder into the penalty area, De Silva is there, and Hull City have a goal. Gets around his man, Powell, 5. Another goal for Stoke City. First time they've got five at home this season. And Stoke City, in the end, have run absolute riot. Absolutely phenomenal result for Stoke City. 5-1 result versus Hull. 
I'm just leaving the stadium now, walking back to my car. I don't know if you can hear behind me, but the atmosphere is electric. On my journey home, I reflected on the victory. It made me wonder how the players were feeling during all of this. In scenarios like Stokes, fans and club staff appear to come off worse, but it's the mentality of the players that's often overlooked. It's effectively make or break in this industry. Intrigued to find out more, I got in touch with former Leicester City and Port Vale defender Joe Davis. First, I wanted to hear about his journey, as well as how he got into football. So my journey began at eight years of age when I joined the Centre of Excellence at Port Vale. Um, that was sort of the start of my my career there, and, and certainly my journey with Port Vale. Um, and that's quite strange, actually, how that came about. It was actually on a family holiday in Tenerife where we were in a resort, the same resort as Martin Foyle, who was the Port Vale manager at the time, and my dad got talking to him because they sort of knew each other from their playing days. Um, they'd come across each other several times. And he invited me down for a trial when I got home that summer. Um, and at this point, I wasn't really massively into football, to be honest. It was, it was, I was playing locally at Nantwich Town and it was just sort of something to do rather than an actual uh, passion uh, at that stage. Joe elaborated further on the trial that got him into football. It was quite a surprise, really. It went quite well, the trial. I remember taking a ball to the face and um, getting a nosebleed and it was sort of it was sort of a, a raise your eyebrows kind of moment for the um, for the coaches I think because I, I most definitely wasn't one of the most talented ones there it was more so my um, commitment and my application that they so they sort of caught their eye and it went from there really. Now that I knew more about Joe's foundations in football I wanted to understand more about the mentally tough challenges that come with being a professional football player. So touching on mental health in the game, it's obviously a massive issue um, and in my opinion an area that needs a lot of work. For me there's been tons of challenges, mental challenges that I've had to overcome um, and I think every single footballer faces challenging moments no matter what level they're at, Premier League to non-league, um, whether it's loss of form, loss of confidence, just simply being out the team, you know, self-doubts can easily start to creep in. Now that Joe has transitioned into a different outlook of the game, it's easier for him to dissect his toughest moments. I think my toughest year mentally, uh, when I look back now, um, it's, it's easy to see, but when you're in it, it's very difficult. Um, and I think now, it's it's definitely my last year at Port Vale was, was really tough. Um, I'd signed initially under Michael Brown, who lasted only a couple of months. Um, and I found myself in a position that I'd been in before at Fleetwood uh, where a manager comes in and has his own style and his opinion and, and it, it didn't, I didn't necessarily fit into that and for Aspen it was big six foot three centre-backs that could head it 80 yards and kick it 100 so I knew as soon as he came in that I was going to have problems really um, especially getting into the team um, not so much a relationship but it's definitely getting into the team and that was something that I feared um, and it was certainly just being out of the team, it's it's a horrendous time as a footballer. It's like you don't feel as part of things. You know, you try and keep your head down, you try and get back in. But for me at that time, I, I was getting pushed out and training with the youth team and then training with, you know, getting told I was in the youth team changing room and it was a massive, massive blow for me. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely that was definitely the biggest moment for me. I mentioned earlier that the sport of football 
is make or break. The truth is, a professional footballer plays in front of thousands of people who judge you for your actions on and off the pitch. People that you don't even know. For a career that completely dictates your life, I was pretty sure that there were some adequate support systems in place, but to my disbelief, I was wrong. Um, I think my, my most recent struggle has been actually transitioning away from the game. Um, the lack of support that there's actually out there. I know the PFA try and put on educational pathways for you to, to try and look into, but in terms of the actual trying to get into a different career, it's very difficult and it can certainly um, it can certainly you know put get you down. Um, I think there's so much more that needs to be done. Really, the PFA needs to do a lot more. That's 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 definite. Um, and even in terms of clubs, which I know is difficult for lower league, as the Premier League have stepped up the game with it in terms of psychologists and player care um, officers in place. But I'm not quite sure how lower league teams are going to do it because they obviously don't have the finances to, to do that. But I think just a general. Um, managers can certainly improve I think a lot of managers are very old school and, and have this oh, just get on with it type of thing and I think they don't make it very welcoming for you to go in and actually say you know what I'm not feeling the best I'm not feeling myself I think there's sort of a a judgement there um, that makes you feel like you don't really want to do that because you don't want him to think that you're not up to it you're not up to playing in his team you don't want him to think you're mentally weak um, so you don't really do it and I think there needs to be a bit of a shift in that really in terms of making it a bit more of an easier process for players to go and approach managers and, and tell them how they feel The perspective that Joe shared helped me to see the game from a different angle an angle that came with nerves and a big pressure to perform As a fan the mental health of a player is something that doesn't even cross your mind when you boo a player for losing the ball or making a mistake, you almost forget that they, like you, are only human. I was intrigued from my chat with Joe and wanted to expand on this newfound perspective of the game, so I got in touch with former Barnsley and Derby defender Lewin Nyatanga. At the tender age of 17, Lewin became the youngest ever to represent the Welsh national team. So like Joe, he definitely knows a thing or two about pressure. For that reason, I wanted to get his opinion on what he believes are the biggest pressures that come with being a footballer. I think just performing in front of thousands of people on a weekly basis. Um, I can't think of many jobs where you get feedback on every little decision that you make and small split second decisions that you make that are maybe right or wrong you get instant feedback um and yeah I, I can't think of other careers that have that I mean can you imagine doing a, a presentation at work say you're in I don't know marketing and there's 30,000 people watching that presentation and every time you show a slide or say something that's wrong everyone boos and start swearing at you um, and your your colleagues start shouting at you saying what the hell are you doing so I definitely think that is a, a strange thing with football that now I've left I kind of realise oh yeah that's not actually that normal 
Lewin's correct when he says this. A playing career in football is not normal. Like most kids, when I was little, if you'd have asked me what I wanted to be, it was a footballer. But there's a certain ugly truth to the matter. There's so many people that dedicate their life to this sport, but so few make it. When Business Insider UK spoke to author Michael Calvin, he revealed some startling statistics. Even if you were in an academy from the age of nine, less than half of 1% make it as a professional, or even make a living from the game through a different role. To put things into perspective, just 180 of the 1.5 million players who are playing organised youth football in England will make it as a Premier League pro. That's a success rate of 0.012%, pretty much the rate of you being hit by a meteor on your way home. Whilst that shockingly low figure remains fresh in your head, I'm sure you can start to imagine just how much of a gamble that a playing career in football is. With this comes added pressure. Pressure to perform, pressure to impress, and pressure to succeed. When these notions are introduced, you start to question whether the game remains enjoyable, or whether it feels more like a chore. See, the unspoken truth when it comes to most things is that turning your hobby into a job doesn't always end up feeling as good as you might think. Sure, you might be earning a solid income from it, but in some cases, the enjoyment begins to fade. For a player who burst onto the scene at just 17 and boasted a career that spanned over a decade, I saw this as the perfect opportunity to test that and see if a career in football really can impact your love for the game. So I asked him one of the most underrated questions in the game. Lewin, what does football mean to you? What does football mean to you? That's a that's an interesting question. And you know what? I don't I don't really know how to answer that. I mean, maybe this sounds really, really cynical and I probably would have to elaborate on it, but for me football was something that I had to just do. And if I can elaborate on that, I think if it was down to me, I probably would have never pursued it. Um, it wasn't really something that I I wanted to do. And I'll explain that by saying, if you'd have asked me as a seven-year-old, do I, do I want to be a professional footballer? I would have said, yes, definitely. But to be honest, the experience of going through the academy system um, when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, it really kind of took the love away uh, of football for me. And as you can see in my previous answers, that's why when I got released, I took a year and a half out of football. Um, and to be honest, when I was released at the age of, I think, 11, I was I was so happy. You know, I couldn't wait to, to be done with that. So, you know, when I got scouted back at 14 to be honest I didn't really want to go back you know it was bad memories for me so I, I you know I was happy playing Sunday league football just enjoying myself um, but obviously my dad encouraged me that it was a good opportunity so I went back and you know I always say that and here I am you know 15 16 years later um, at the end of a, a career in the game so 
I think with football, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it, it probably sounds quite negative, doesn't it? But to me, when I think back, it was just, you know, it was something that um, I had to do. I obviously had a talent in it and I, I just tried to, to do uh, my, my best in it. And, you know, I think I, think I did uh, quite well in that regard. I've been really impressed with the honesty and humbleness shown by both Joe and Lewin. The thoughts that they've shared with me have helped me to gain an insight into the hidden stresses and issues that I didn't even know existed. The next part of our journey through football's taboo extends to Ireland, where I had the pleasure of speaking to CEO of Sligo Rovers, Colin Feely. Sligo Rovers are pretty unique in the fact that they're owned by the people of Sligo, the fans of the club if you will. Just from fundraising alone, the club raised half a million last season, a true testament to the loyalty and power of a football fan base. The role that Colin plays is integral to the overall functioning of the club. Yeah, so um, I was appointed Chief Executive Officer of Sligo Rovers back in um, June last year, so June 2019. Um, Basically, it's just the day-to-day running of the football club from, from top to bottom. My job is working with the various different matchday staff, um, the local police, the local, say, ambulance. Um, they're called civil defence here in Ireland. It's just basically organising those, make sure they've got some teams coming up to the stadium for the game, um, working with the fire department, all, all the basic kind of logistics surrounding a match, surrounding a fixture that needs to be done, um, working with the various different people. And, and of course, speaking with the players, making sure everything's okay, dealing with any issues that might arise throughout the week with them and it's the same with the manager, um, kind of speaking with him, anything he needs, he bounces it off myself and vice versa and we just work together as a as a tight-knit football club basically to, to get the best out of the club that we can. I then asked Colin about the stresses that come with his role in the game, but it was when he told me how he deals with those stresses that really blew me away. One of the good things I find that in the last year since I've been in the role as the the CEO, um, I've sort I I play football myself, um, just the equivalent of Sunday League, I guess, in um, in England, playing the local Sligo Leitrim League, it's called here for a team called Kirchen United, and I really find that's a release to me. You know, we train Tuesdays and Thursdays. There's been many's a day I've kind of been kind of maybe stressed out a little bit at work or tired from work and my head might be melted or whatever but um can you can go there and kind of meet up with the lads and have a bit of fun and train towards a game on a Sunday and luckily for us we've been going quite well in the last 12 months or even further beyond that we got promoted last year into the top division from division one so um we've had a good couple of years we've been enjoying that and that's really one thing I've enjoyed in the last few years is actually playing football myself just to put that into perspective Colin plays football to unwind from the stresses of football. When I tell you football is more than a game, this is an example of what I mean. There are so many components of football that make it the most versatile sport and subject in the world. If you'll recall, earlier on, we were investigating the rather alarming situation that Stoke City currently find themselves in. We've used this time well and now understand more about the underlying pressures that players and staff face in this kind of situation. 
but now it was time for Stoke City's next fixture against Reading. If their previous 5-1 victory against Hull City was anything to go by, from a Stoke City perspective, you'd go into this game with full confidence. Although, thanks to the unexpected, you wouldn't go into this game at all. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the impact the new coronavirus is having on families and businesses as that virus continues to spread. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced the for spike decades. in coronavirus cases. All Premier League and English Football League and Women's Super League matches have been postponed until April 3rd at the earliest. Without a huge national effort to halt the growth of this virus, there will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly, possibly cope. On the 13th of March 2020, football as we know it came to a halt. It was a day that we never thought we'd ever see. Not in our lifetime anyway. It was the correct decision. We were under threat from an invisible killer. The only control we had was to separate ourselves from society. All the hard work that was put into the season was looking as though it would be pointless. At the flick of a switch, the world changed. Football was now rendered just a game. Not a lifestyle, not a religion, a game. At the end of the day, I guess that statement's correct. Technically, football is a game, but so is anything in life, until you dedicate and fully immerse yourself in it. Football has evolved, it's a business, a sport, a pastime, a stress relief, a religion, a game, whatever you want it to be, football is that. Broken down into its simplest form, it's an outlet. That's why when I heard about the suspension of football, I was deeply gutted. Not just for my own selfish reasons, but for the community as a collective. My thoughts immediately went to Sligo Rovers a fan-owned club that not only relied on ticket sales, but also community events, which now couldn't happen because of this dreaded disease. Um, it's affected us in quite a big way, to be fair, yeah. Um, financially then, obviously all our income streams will be cut off. In Ireland, our major um, income stream will be obviously through the ticket sales and um, week to week. Our home gates, it'd be very important to us. Obviously, that's now gone. So that's gone from X amount per week to zero. Um, then we'd have other fundraising activities. Um, last season, as a club, we raised half a million on fundraising alone um, in 12 months. So I think we're a unique club. We're very much um, community-orientated. The, the whole town here in Sligo and the county and... Um, even people, maybe Sligo exiles who have left Sligo for work or whatever, um, that live abroad or in, in maybe gone to Dublin or whatever to work, they all really chip in and help us with whatever fundraising activities we, we do throughout the year. The work that Colin and the staff at Sligo Rovers do is truly great, especially in such a tough time. 
If this is the new normal, I also worry for the fans. As I said before, this is an outlet. What happens when that's taken away? Around three months have passed since I last added to this radio documentary. As a community, we've been through emotions that are indescribable to a non-football enthusiast. We've faced boredom and emptiness amidst threats of a prolonged suspension. And we now know what it's like to live without football. We've also seen football adapt to the circumstances. We've replaced the silence of stadiums with artificial noise and seen different rules come into play. It's been different, but it's worked well. Oh, and Stoke City did in fact stay up, despite being written off by so many. Four wins and two draws in their last nine games proved to be enough in the end. Beyond Football is a radio documentary written, produced and presented by Samuel Slaney, with the sole purpose of exploring the underbelly topics of the beautiful game. Many thanks to our contributors, Elliot Hackney, Joe Davis, Lewin Nyatanga and Colin Feely. I hope we've all proven that football is much more than a game.